This is the Spring Research Project podcast where we talk about community sponsorship of refugees. My name is Eliza Bateman and I am Head of Research at the University of Ottawa Refugee Hub. And I'm Tiomir Sabchev, Postdoctoral Fellow at the Refugee Hub. Welcome back to the Spring Research Project podcast. A few years ago, I was doing research on the reception of refugees on a small Greek island. I noticed that some Canadians, moved by what they had seen in the media, decided to spend their summer holidays on this island, helping the locals and supporting refugee welcome initiatives. Later on, in the context of our spring research project, I interviewed many Canadian sponsors who told me that they got involved in refugee sponsorship because of the media coverage during the so-called Syrian refugee crisis in Europe. Many of them referred to the photo of Alain Kurdi's body on the Turkish coast, which was widely shared at the time. In addition, I found multiple references to this mobilizing effect of the media in the research of my colleagues across Canada. I started wondering, therefore, what is media's impact on refugee sponsorship? Does it play a role only in mobilizing sponsors or also in other aspects of refugee sponsorship? Is it different than the media's impact on immigration politics more broadly? And if so, then why? To discuss this important topic, I have invited Louisa Taylor, who is a journalist and a refugee sponsorship advocate. She is the co-founder and director of Refugee 613, a grassroots initiative that supports Ottawa's efforts to provide settlement services to refugee newcomers. Welcome to our podcast, Louisa, and it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, normally I briefly present our guests in the beginning, but let's take another approach today. May I ask you to tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, your involvement in refugee sponsorship, and perhaps also about your work at Refugee 613. Sure. So I think the thing that's most relevant to our conversation today is that I was a newspaper journalist for 25 years. I was in Canada and abroad. Uh, I was a writer and editor. And in the last uh, about 10 years of my career, I was really focused on social policy, in particular immigration. And I was really interested in how we build healthy communities here in Canada in the way that we uh, welcome and integrate immigrants of a variety of, you know, pathways. And I did a research fellowship or journalism fellowship on the healthy immigrant effect. And then I, with a focus on, I did one particular part of it all about refugees. And I started to learn more about refugee policy. And I really also at the same time, because I was doing so much reporting on immigration, got to know people in the sector and really saw how there was a real lack of understanding of media and communications in general within the sector and some big gaps and some big opportunities for better understanding how to tell the story of uh, refugee resettlement and integration of diversity of inclusion. And, and so that was sort of always in the back of my mind that, that there, those opportunities were there. And then our family made a decision that uh, my husband and I were both in media and looking at how broken the model is, decided it was time to get out. And so I was a strategic communications consultant for about a year and a half. And then it's interesting that you mentioned the the tragedy of uh, Alan Curdy and his, and his mother and brother 
because that prompted a group of us in Ottawa to sort of ask ourselves, how can Ottawa as a city do more to welcome newcomers? And uh, in particularly in this instance, how can we push the government of the day to improve or to increase its sort of allocation of resettlement spaces to Syrians? And our answer was once we did some rapid consulting, I was I was the only person sort of outside the social services sector involved. I thought I was bringing my communications expertise to help folks. I thought maybe I would do some press releases and some strategies for them. And But we consulted with refugee sponsorship experts locally, uh, settlement agencies, health agencies, and the answer became, we need a communications vehicle. The services were there, but they weren't knit together in a way that they were talking to each other. And they also really needed help talking to the public because all of them were being inundated with requests to help. Uh, And people wanted to know how to sponsor, how to donate, how to volunteer. And that led to the creation over the course of three weeks, we created Refugee 613. 613 is the phone area code for Ottawa. And we were very locally focused. And our goal was to inform, connect and inspire. So inform was to give answer those questions that people had about where they could go and, and how they could be involved. Connect was about convening sponsors, uh, sorry, stakeholders locally to work better with each other and to better understand what was going on. Because there was a big concern, it was already happening in front of us, the people new to the refugee space were duplicating efforts. And so we were really trying to make sure that everyone was aware of everyone else and that if anything, they would strengthen somebody else's efforts rather than start something new. And then Inspire was to work on raising awareness of refugee issues, raising engagement, and possibly doing some policy advocacy in a, in a soft advocacy sense. So that was 2015. We, we launched on October 1st, and that's what I'm still doing. I was the original found, co-founder and the, uh, the first director. And our lens is communication. We look at refugee uh, resettlement or, you know, asylum processes through the lens of who has the information they need and who doesn't, and where are the gaps, can we help fill them, and, and what are the implications of those gaps? It's a really important work that you are doing at Refugee 613. And also it's very interesting to hear that actually you were also prompted from the tragic events in 2015 and the media coverage back then to get personally uh, more involved in refugee sponsorship. And now I want to move to the topic of our discussion today. Media coverage was undoubtedly a crucial factor for the mobilization of sponsors across Canada in 2015. Can you tell us more about this role of media from your perspective as a journalist and more recently as a refugee sponsorship advocate? On a personal level, I'll just start with the micro and then I'll pull the lens back. On a personal level, I was so frustrated that I was no longer in media at the time. And I really noticed a complete 180 switch in interest in the topic. You know, mothers on the playground where I would go and pick up my kids had always known the work that I did and that I was really interested in the refugee issues, etc. Not really been very interested. But suddenly, after the photo of Alan Curdy was everywhere, I had these people coming up to me at the schoolyard saying, how can we help? What can we do? And I thought, wow, great. You know, now that I no, no longer have the platform of a large, you know, city newspaper uh, is when people are actually care. And uh, so that was, I, I call that my, my 22nd pity party. I got over that very fast because it was like, hang on, people care right now. There is interest. What do we do with that? How do we make it 
go deeper and last longer and apply to more refugees and not just this immediate focus on uh, Syrians. And, and that is what prompted me to, to start reaching out locally and eventually, um, you know, collaborate with folks to create Refugee 613. So I think that as much as it is painful on a personal level and the tragedy of Alan Kurdi and his mom and his brother losing their lives. And we know that they are, you know, among many thousands who have made similar risky decisions around the world and, and, and it has resulted in death. It, it is really hard on a personal level to know that a photo of someone, uh, especially a child, you know, gets splashed around headlines and, and media organizations around the world. But I think it's really important to know that that did, in fact, mobilize and change the lives of uh, tens of thousands of others. Because in Canada, once people saw that photo, we were able to say, as people in the sector, uh, we were able to say to journalists, hang on, we do have a pathway for people to be engaged. We do have a way for people to go beyond their, their reaction to this tragedy and actually take action. And so very quickly, we started to really work to make sure that journalists knew about sponsorship. We were creating information sessions that were attract, you know, breaking the fire code because so many people wanted to sponsor. And that was kind of a, at the time, a uniquely Canadian pathway to engagement that was priceless. And it meant that journalists, for the most part, were our allies in spreading the word about that pathway and writing stories both about that it existed and then following people as they went through the sponsorship experience. And uh, But it also meant really having to spend a fair bit of time explaining things to journalists. And, and one of the things that we toyed with at the time was creating information sessions just for journalists so that they had a better understanding of the different pathways. Uh, in the end, we didn't have the capacity for that, and we kind of did it one-on-one. -on -one. But there's no question that media helped us immensely, and they were largely, and remain today, largely very, very supportive of the refugee sponsorship program in Canada. And when we are talking about the role of media in refugee sponsorship, may I ask you, has anything changed since this large post-2015 mobilization? And what were the, the consequences of any changes that you've observed? Well, media in general, journalists in general, are a fairly um, fickle bunch with a short attention span. And uh, I can say that because I'm, I still uh, suffer from that. And so, you know, once the whole story of the Syrian resettlement subsided in terms of the volume of arrivals, and it sort of was seen to be almost, you know, in the rearview mirror, the media was a lot less interested in writing about sponsorship. They felt like there was greater awareness and there weren't, you know, those kind of feel-good stories about it as a, as a pathway were, were not really, it's something, it was done. Right, it was done, and maybe you would have local journalists in in smaller centers or smaller publications in um, in larger centers writing stories about particular families who had been sponsored. But by and large, the you know as the what the government calls Operation Syrian Resettlement came to a close, uh, so did the interest from the media, and so did the interest from the public in sponsoring. And I'm talking primarily here about what Canada's Blended Visa Office referred program, uh, which is when sponsors are engaged 
to sponsor someone they don't have a prior connection to. Uh, sometimes we call it sponsor the stranger because of the, um, you know, sort of religious, you know, connotations of welcoming the stranger, etc. But it's really to distinguish it from the PSR program, the, where where there has been no, you know, decline in interest in that program because it's driven by people knowing people that they want to sponsor or organizations identifying people that they want to sponsor. That program remains highly, highly popular, vastly oversubscribed with a huge backlog. In terms of mobilizing people who don't have a prior connection to uh, any refugees abroad, that remains a big challenge. And now, you know, we sort of have people, some people definitely, I think, in the public sort of thought, not that the problem is solved, but it's not as bad as it was. And, you know, it was time to take a breath. All the people who got engaged in sponsorship for the first time were still, you know, working through their sponsorships. As as we know, it's even though it's a one-year commitment, it usually takes longer than that and people stay engaged. And it is a challenging experience. It's It's one of the most rewarding things a person can do, but it is also, you know, a lot to take on. In, in the best possible way. And so what we've seen is, you know, a minority of people who sign up to sponsor again immediately. So you have this amazing cohort that was mobilized in the, in the rush and the, the sort of high volume of coverage of, of the Kurdi case, and then it dropped off. And then the government found itself with more refugees than sponsors, whereas it had been the other way in 2015, 2016, where sponsors were banging on their door for refugees to support. Uh, so since 2017, it's been a big struggle to recruit enough sponsors to meet the program's goals here in Canada. Again, I'm only talking about the, the BVOR. PSR is always uh, very popular and, and oversubscribed. And so far, we we are focusing on the on this mobilizing function of the media on refugee sponsors. But I can imagine that media can have also other functions related to the refugee sponsorship program. Can you think along with me and try to imagine some of them from your um, expert view as an ex-journalist, for example? It's a really interesting question because I think the overwhelming role they've played is mobilizing. But I think that there's stories about sponsorship itself, about policy, but also about the human experience, both from the newcomer's perspective and from the sponsor's perspective, plays almost a pre-mobilization role in terms of normalizing it as an experience, normalizing refugee welcome as being part of Canadian values. There's been, I am, hard-pressed to find examples of Canadian media being highly critical of sponsorship. If anything, it's they'll be critical of the program from a civil society perspective, uh, you know, sort of weighing in and flagging where civil society would like the government to, you know, amend their policies. Um, we're going through that right now, particularly in, related to Afga- in relation to Afghanistan. Uh, there's a lot of people who are trying to sponsor family or, you know, professional contacts because of Canada's engagement in Afghanistan for so many years. Uh, and they're deeply frustrated with the government's response, which isn't just about sponsorship. It's it's the government resettlement program as well. But there's been a lot of criticism. So media have played a role in giving a platform to civil society to push back on some uh, policy um 
weaknesses or critiques. And I think that has been really, really important. I will say that people in the sector often think that there is little awareness of refugee sponsorship or of the need. And our research shows that's not the case. There's actually a lot of awareness of the need what is what people are not as aware of now and and often a lot of awareness of the program what they don't yet know the public doesn't yet feel in their bones is that they can do it too how they would do it where to get started etc and and that learning comes from some market research we did in 2021 and uh, we're using it to inform recruitment strategies now that So that I think that the, you know, you can only ask so much of media. And I think that we can be really grateful here in Canada that they have reflected, by and large, the really widespread embrace of refugee resettlement as a core Canadian experience and and policy value. But that like everything else, you know, there's a new story to tell every day and journalists are vastly overworked and there's fewer of them than ever so it's harder and harder to get someone to loop back and pay attention to the same issue that they feel that they've covered uh, you know exhaustively already indeed mobilization of sponsors as we discussed um, sharing positive news news about refugee welcome in canada and also more broadly giving a platform to civil society organizations to advocate for some positive changes in certain policies and programs seem to be important functions that media has in refugee sponsorship but beyond that i was thinking there seems to be a big discrepancy between the role of media in immigration in general and then in refugee sponsorship in particular when i talk to to people including in our research about immigration there seems to be the understanding that this is one of the most politicized issues nowadays and media plays an important role in this politicization of immigration and speaking uh, from europe uh, and my perspective as a European here, we've seen many cases of uh, people using the media uh, to oppose refugee welcome rather than, rather than promote it, as in the case of refugee sponsorship in Canada. Have you seen this discrepancy this, that I described? And do you think that this broader politicization of immigration and the way it's presented in the media has had any negative effect on refugee sponsorship programs or we talk about two distinct topics and um, it seems that media plays out differently in in these two uh, fields. Mm. I think so, but not as much as Europe. I think there, there is, Canada is an outlier whenever you see those G7 or G20 or OECD reports on public uh, support for immigration. We're always really high compared to others and politicians across the political spectrum generally embrace immigration as a public good however there's you know increasing fear that growing polarization and the rise of of uh, xenophobia will cause that you know to chip away chip away at that support and i think we're already starting to see that but the last election cycle a lot of people in the sector were really worried that refugee welcome would become a target, would become a political football, and that never emerged. And I think part of the reason for that is that you would have to get very, very nuanced to 
oppose refugee resettlement in Canada in order to find the, you know, the this is the type of refugee resettlement that we oppose, right? And and because there's such general embrace of it as a Canadian value. But I think that we can't assume that that will always be the case because uh, we already know that immigration is, is becoming increasingly a hot topic, but it has not crossed over into rejection of refugee resettlement. I will say the big exception here is refugee claimants or as they're known in other countries, asylum seekers. Canada is getting its first taste over, over the past couple of years has been getting its uh, its first taste of sort of mass arrivals where, you know, absolutely nothing compared to what countries like Germany and, and other European countries have experienced. But, um, you know, 40, 50,000 people coming over the land border with the U.S., has been very alarming and that is what the political right has picked up on and that is an area where i think media has uh, unfortunately kind of fanned the the heat around that issue and so and and created a narrative that there is a good refugee and that there is a, a bad refugee and the bad refugee is the one who uh shows up at our border and asks for asylum forget the fact that that is you know covered under the Convention on Refugees, and they are not breaking any rules by doing that. The good refugee is the one who waits abroad to be, uh, you know, chosen by Canada to come here. So that narrative, you know, is something that we are um, pushing back against uh, all the time, particularly we've just had some major policy changes here uh, with regards to asylum seekers, and it's a really challenging moment uh, for, for the sector here. But refugee sponsorship has been this kind of protected, valued institution that Canadians are generally proud of. It's it's really rare. You, you would see, you know, politically for us, it's the, the Conservative Party on the right. And then within the Conservative Party, there are, you know, obviously some who are even further right than, than their colleagues. And then there are some other parties that have tried to make immigration, uh, in particular refugees, a political football, as we say, and it hasn't worked to a great extent. It does appeal to people who are looking for scapegoats, but by and large, most Canadians, you know, when you look at public opinion, believe in and support Canada's immigration policies. It is constantly spoken of in terms of, you know, the an economic good we we have for example right now in the province of ontario 320,000 jobs open needing people uh, to fill them and so canadians who don't necessarily uh, follow immigration as a topic or stay abreast of of all the ins and outs generally know that as a country we're aging we need po- population um, you know replacement we need we need more people to be coming and that immigration is one of the tools for that and so the role that media has played is is largely accepting that argument without a lot of critique and instead talking about you know business leaders who talk about how badly we need people and and so the government recently announced last fall announced a new levels uh, immigration levels plan that is you know the highest in in our history since since the early 1900s and there was not a lot of critique of that it may be in sort of in the how uh, how do we get this done? But overall, I would say that the media has not challenged that narrative very much. Of course, it exists, and especially 
the further right you go, but they also have less traction uh, in public opinion. I understand your point, and perhaps I'm by no means expert in, in journalism or media, but uh, the way I see things, perhaps media coverage amplifies the, the extremes, and we know very well that the refugee sponsorship program has a lot of positive aspects, and uh, taking them and highlighting them in the media gives them a lot of, you know, amplifies their effect on the public. The same way when the government struggles to uh, deal with uh, some issues it faces in the field of immigration, we have the same effect, but on the on the other um, side of the spectrum, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And I would say something that that we hear a lot from our colleagues in Europe is the notion or the the sort of the lens that a lot of Europeans look at sponsorship uh, through is very different from here in Canada. In Europe, what we hear is, this is the government's role. Why are you outsourcing to citizens? And that that is a, a negative and, and a really fundamental challenge that a lot of sponsorship programs face. Here in Canada, that is not considered an issue at all. In fact, it is more, of course, you would engage community. People resettle to neighborhoods. They don't resettle to municipal offices or to you know, to a country, they resettle to a neighborhood and a community. And the more you get the neighborhood and the community engaged, the better that process is going to be. So we don't, and, and nobody has um, picked up on that argument as a reason to push back on refugee sponsorship. There's lots of ways that it could be done better here in Canada. We, we are talking about that all the time. And, you know, is there a way to merge the best aspects of the government resettlement program with the best aspects of sponsorship is is often a topic for discussion but the fundamental importance of engaging the average canadian in welcoming a newcomer particularly someone who has lived the refugee journey and that's just not ever questioned that it's seen as as something that is really positive and so our media has amplified that as well and so they haven't picked up on that sort of, is this the government failing to do its its part? There are folks within the sector who are very concerned about what, you know, what we call additionality uh, and making sure that sponsorship you know, increases resettlement numbers and doesn't just um, replace the government responsibility. And that's a constant calibration that we do have to stay alert to. But that is policymakers, talking to each other, uh, civil society and government, an argument that is not something that, that the general public follows or, or even really understands. Yeah, and you're totally right that uh, in Europe in general, European uh, society is uh, much less involved in refugee sponsorship, nothing even close to what you have in Canada. But at the same time, we see also with the recent arrival of millions of Ukrainians in Europe that people generally start to engage much more to a much larger extent in, in refugee welcome. And that said, I want to actually go to my last question, which has to do with uh, your advice as a former journalist about the strategic use of the media in refugee sponsorship. What would be your advice to policymakers that are interested in designing and developing refugee sponsorship programs abroad and also to sponsors perhaps and sponsor organizations, civil society, that are going to engage in the future in such programs? Mm. <laughs> it's always hard because, you know, speaking of media or journalists as 
a monolith as people, you know, who, who are all going to have the same perspective and the same reactions is really, really tricky because, you know, when people say the media is this and the media is that, as someone who was part of that category, there is so much diversity of opinion and approach within those labels. And so I think one thing to do is to remember that and to think about how to, I know that there have been some really excellent um, programs that I've heard about just, you know, sort of have filtered through to me uh, within the European Union on and educating journalists on uh, refugee issues. I don't know if there have been any on, on explaining refugee sponsorship specifically, but I think if you can develop some resources that help journalists understand the issues and the, the processes and why it's a why it's a valuable thing to engage with. Doing that as part of your rollout of a new program would probably help increase the chances of really informed and valuable coverage so that when someone comes to them to then pitch a story about, uh, you know, this is what's happening locally, that journalist understands it better and uh, is less prone, we would hope, to uh, to fall into some kind of binary kind of narrative about, you know, good refugees, bad refugees, etc. So I think taking investing in some messaging and resources to help journalists understand what sponsorship is, what it's intended to achieve, what it is not, uh, can be very helpful. As I said, I think at the beginning of our conversation, we never paused to do that. We just kind of did it on the fly. And, uh, and I think that it's something that we're going to be looking at as we move into new approaches to recruitment. And I think the, the other piece is to be thinking about the fact that every journalist you're dealing with is you're, you're competing with so many other stories. You're competing with a lack of resources. You're competing with their own frustration and, and levels of, um, of disenchantment with the media and, and journalism models and how things are evolving so fast and they're under intense pressure. And you need to make it as easy as possible for them. So think about lining up really good story ideas in advance. Think about something that we did that was incredibly helpful. A lot of people want, you know, the, the, the best kind of material to work with is first person testimonials, but you immediately run into the ethical considerations of asking a refugee, former refugee uh, to speak to media. We have some partners who have a blanket rule that they will never ask that of anybody who works, you know, or comes here under their program. As a former journalist and as someone who has talked to lots of people, I know that there are people who would feel silenced by that. There are people who really do want to tell their story. You, you make sure that they are properly informed, but you avoid the power dynamics. You don't ask someone to speak while they're in the middle of sponsorship, if you can avoid that at all costs. But what we did was we had a program where we were tra- giving them media training and helping them to understand that when they're being interviewed, they can control their narrative to uh, to a large extent. They can choose to answer a question or not answer a question. They can formulate with a bit of help from someone sort of to workshop it beforehand. They can think about what it is they want to say or not say, and that can really empower them and make them more comfortable and make it more likely that they will be able to share their story. So investing in that kind of 
having a maybe a, a handful of people that you give some training to uh, sponsors as well by the way because most of them have never spoken to journalists either so that they feel more confident to tell their story and they become more effective as interview subjects so doing that kind of prep work i think is really important and understanding that for every pitch you make to a to a journalist you know you're you're up against a lot that you can't see and that not to give up though and and one tactic that that actually i used as a journalist that worked really well and i think people could use to reach journalists is saying to somebody saying to a journalist we don't have a story for you right now but we're wondering if you would be interested in knowing more on this topic and let's just go for coffee or let's let's arrange an information session for you and sort of that one-on-one building that relationship one-on-one and some of them may have time and they may take you up on it Uh, a lot won't Uh, but if they do and you build that relationship when refugees or refugee sponsorship hit the headlines they know that you are a good contact and that means that your voice and your perspective can inform uh, their decision making in how they write their story which is huge because that is the thing that that as a journalist always astounded me was the extent to which the sector was not actively engaging in telling their story the world needs to hear positive hope-based messages about how we can we can build a better world and seeing refugee sponsorship as one of those messages as you know you can talk about all the negative things i won't list we all know we've all heard them but too often in our sector, we focus on those negatives. We focus on the absence or the um, demonization, et cetera. And we try to correct it in the moment. And, and we're naming the problem as we correct it. Instead, simply saying to somebody or taking the, the strategy that I want to tell you about something really great happening in our community. And it's about building a stronger community. And it's about engaging the public and building breaking down barriers, breaking down walls, and strengthening communities. It's not going to work for everybody, but it's it's worth having that as a lens as you approach media and try to build those relationships. And again, whether they write a story about you immediately or not, if they know that you are someone uh, or your organization is there to go to when they do have questions and when something does hit the news, that sets you up really well to ensure that that positive voice is going to be reflected rather than completely overlooked. These were very important and really valuable tips. Luisa, thank you so much for sharing your experience and opinion with us today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.